What is up, everyone? My name is Adnan Shafi, and I'd like to welcome you guys to the third, actually, the second, yeah, third, sorry, episode of Pariah Nation. This is season 10. We've come a long way, guys. And today we're going to be talking about internet activism. Uh, we have a very special guest with us today, Hadil Speaks. Would you just like to introduce yourself for the people that don't know you? Hey, everyone. It's me, Hadil, also known as Hadil Speaks. It's an absolute pleasure to be on this uh, podcast. So I'm an activist and a social media content creator that speaks about politics, international affairs and social issues. Yeah, thank you so much, Hadil, for that introduction. And I just want to ask you before we start, what's been your experience with activism and what's been your thoughts on activism in the last, let's say, seven months, especially during quarantine? So activism in itself um, online is a very different platform to navigate um, compared to being an activist on the ground um, with the people and doing all the movements. So it's been quite interesting. I've definitely been uh, privy to a lot of things, seeing many different events unfold on um, social media and seeing how people have reacted and engaged with that. So it's been definitely a very informative and most definitely interesting experience. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think this year there's been a sort of internet activism revolution, mainly because of COVID-19. And everything is basically online now. And the advent of internet activism has brought forth many questions. I think one of the things that has sort of shot off from internet activism is cancel culture. We've had several talks about that in uh, previous episodes. So you can go ahead and do that. There's a two-part uh, podcast on that. So go and check that out. But also we're going to be focusing in this podcast on looking at internet activism from a general perspective, but we're also going to be going straight into topics such as the save all burden. And I'm sure Hadil has a lot to say about that. Uh, but yeah, just generally speaking, I think that one of the things that I think about internet activism is perhaps the diffuse nature. So many people get involved and obviously, you know, there's usually a hashtag that is uh, shared or a profile picture on TikTok where everyone changes to that profile picture. And generally speaking, it feels great. And uh, sometimes it's very short term, but there's also sometimes I feel like a lack of direction, but we'll get into all these different things into the podcast. So our first topic that we're gonna be focusing on is the Gen Z and the save all burden. So let me explain this to the, to the people who are kind of asking what, what does this mean? Save all burden. I feel like as Gen Z, in general, we've been exposed to so much news and with the advent of things like uh, Twitter, you know, TikTok, et cetera, there are so many people that have access to the internet and journalism is no longer just in the hands of a few people, but it's in the hands of almost everyone, as long as you have a phone in your pocket. And that exposes you to so many issues around the world. I've seen so many campaigns surrounding the Uyghur Muslims. There's been a campaign about NSARS. There's an Anglophone crisis in um, Cameroon. There is gender-based violence in Namibia and South Africa. There's a whole campaign against police brutality in Uganda. There's smaller campaigns in Kenya. And sometimes seeing all of this can be a bit exhausting because as Gen Z, we see all of this. We're obviously a generation that thinks that we've been told from the beginning we're the leaders of today and the leaders of tomorrow. So we need to change things. So I just want to think, uh, get, get Hadil's perspective on this. What do you think about this whole save all burden that we think that we can save every single person afflicted by danger on earth? 
So um, for me, it's really important to one, understand that this is, um, I guess, perhaps something we definitely need to look at as young activists and Gen Z, because I feel like to some degree, it does weaken our activism and our approach because one of the core, I, I would say core values of activism is actually caring and having a passion towards something. But when we have this mentality, when we have this idea of the save all burden, sometimes we're roped into and force it, and we basically force ourselves into um, participating in what turns into a trend focusing on a social issue, which means that one, we aren't educated enough to deal with the issue at hand. Two, we might actually speak over people who we need to listen to in this time. And three, we don't actually end up doing anything helpful to the cause. And I feel like that's completely against what it means to be an activist in the first place. But second of all, I think it's really important to look at the root of this. Like you said, as Gen Z and as a young activists, we've all been roped into um, a lot of this all at once. So I feel like you could argue the Black Lives Matter was the tipping point for everyone. And from then, younger people have been much more politically active and much more engaged and aware of loads of things that are happening. And like I said, it's meant that a lot of us haven't taken the time to educate ourselves and understood what it means to be an activist. And so we've had this save all burden where people are posting things on social media like, I've seen you speak up for Black Lives Matter, but where are you speaking up for this? That um, aggressive approach to activism, I feel like counteracts the whole idea of it and it really doesn't impassion anyone. So yeah, the save all budget, there's obviously a lot to say about it, but it's a very important thing that we do need to tackle. Yeah, I, I think you brought up two <clears throat> very main points that I'm, I'm going to just sort of address. You mentioned the idea of speaking over people. This one is actually a really huge one for me. I've been seeing it for no nuance November, but for example, for Black Lives Matter, <clears throat> there's a lot of people that were trying to make the point that some white creators who are so far removed from certain black situations or uh, certain situations that black people are afflicted with, they sort of speak over some black creators. And I remember one person actually said, guys, I'm going to leave TikTok because I was mentioning something and no one was really listening to me from the black community or anyone other, any other community. But when a white creator said this, there was this whole change of heart. Everyone decided that this is how we're gonna treat things. What do you think about that? You know, this, this idea that people are more uh, welcoming towards the opinions and viewpoints from a white person's perspective isn't actually something that's new, if we're gonna be um, very honest about it. You know, for decades or centuries rather, we've seen people favor opinions coming from our white counterparts whenever a black person is expressing what's happened to them, a grievance, an experience, an incident, it's automatically tainted with stereotypes and people just closing their ears. But as soon as a white person does it, we um, paint them as a savior, you know? Um, we paint them as the leader of our generation, the person that's gonna pull us out of our misery or our oppression. And it's not something that's new on TikTok. I feel like TikTok has definitely helped expose and conceptualize the matter but this idea that uh, people favor things coming from white people's white people is not new at all and it's actually something that's definitely needed to change for a while 
Yeah, and I think it's it's kind of dangerous how sometimes internet activism, low key. I mean, think about it. We're all brought up in a post-colonial world, and we all have certain biases. Even certain black people sometimes have internalized racial biases, and sometimes that means that you might see black people who are generally angry because they are they are expressing themselves in terms of certain issues, and especially women, black women. People be like, oh, I don't want to listen to this angry black woman make a statement about how. Life has become harder for her because of A, B, and C. I'd rather listen to this calm and white, you know, this calm white girl who has this certain opinion in relation to this. And people might ask, you know, where where are you getting this from, Adnan? I mean, it's all coming down to subconscious bias. The way white men, women have been portrayed on TV and on the media as innocent for the longest time ever. So obviously, they would be uh, the champions of uh, such social uh, justice movements. And I think that internet activism sometimes. We really need to be aware of how how it can actually promote a white savior mentality, and when it, you loop that in with this save all burden, sometimes as you said, it really, it, it becomes people speaking over the people who are actually afflicted by those things. So you will have, for example, white people that are speaking on sub-Saharan African issues, right? Or you will have them speaking on certain issues, getting very little information, and sort of spearheading that entire movement. And I'm not saying that, for example, that white people should not. Participate in internet activism. That's not the point that I'm trying to make. What I am trying to say, however, is that it is really important who's at the forefront of these movements. And I think that the best people that are capable to lead certain movements is the people that are being afflicted by these issues within their community. I don't know if you had wanted to add anything on that idea. I feel like I want to add kind of like a side point though. Um, this obsession we have with leadership in general, um, it's a very interesting thing to think about, really. Why is it like obviously for certain reasons with certain movements, it's really important that certain people spearhead it, certain people are being heard. But when it comes down to the idea of leadership, why is it so important? Who's in charge, essentially, if you know what I mean? We've all got something to add at the end of the day. And if we focus more on creating the spaces and sitting down when it's not your time to speak, or listening when it's not your time to speak, I don't think this would be much of an issue however the problem is we're so obsessed with oh who's in who's in, who's getting the praise for it who's in charge who's the leader who's the savior of our generation that we're kind of blindsided and we're not thinking about the real issue at hand and that it's these people have the problem let's listen to what they have to say you know i actually and i've had a recent experience with that in uh you know this whole beef between arabs and uh, arab muslims and essentially black muslims i mean i was having an, a conversation with someone in my comments today and here's this there's three kinds of people within this conflict actually there's more than probably five right so there's the people on the arab side who have been able to recognize the the racism within the muslim community from their community and there're obviously some some black muslims who have acknowledged that uh, there's another group of black Muslims who perhaps have gone a step too far and now they're insulting Arabs and they're generalizing them, et cetera. And then you have the, the peacemakers. And I'm sorry, but to the peacemakers, sometimes the peacemakers are some of the most destructive people in this whole situation because someone was trying to tell me, oh, let's unite as Muslims and then we'll talk about these issues. It's like, you know, it's so tone deaf. Sometimes when people are peacemakers, they become so tone deaf to what people are actually saying. I said, have you even taken time to listen to what black Muslims have to say? Because you can't unite without solving the issues. And this is why sometimes you end up gaslighting those communities.
Yeah, I definitely agree. Like I've seen, we've seen it everywhere, not just there. Like literally pick any social movement and you always have this um, moderate, you know, um, Martin, was it Martin or Malcolm X that said something about the white moderates? Um, that was a very- It was Martin. Yeah, Martin, Martin, yeah. Martin. He said something about the white moderates and how they're more destructive essentially than anyone else on either either side. And it's because you literally silence the whole discussion being had. And I'm sorry, but no one asked, this isn't an arbitration. We don't need a mediator, you know? This is a social issue. Um, and you can't unite anything or anyone or any society without getting to the root cause of the issue and addressing it appropriately. You brushing over the issue to make yourself look like this angel with a halo does nothing to help the cause. It does not serve any purpose. Actually, you know what I will say? It is a manifestation of privilege for you to even think you can act as a peacemaker because for you to come in and be like, oh, actually, you know, guys, let's make peace. Let's stop fighting. You are uncomfortable with the fact that these issues have come to light. And the fact that that discomfort has put you into a, that position, you actually subconsciously, your mind is telling you, I don't like feeling like this because I might be complicit in this crime. Therefore, I would rather silence people than listen to what they're actually saying. So this is one of the major issues I'd say, sometimes when you come into internet activism, you literally have a forum where you can meet people of different sides, different opinions um, in relation to what they're actually saying in relation to the issues as well. And also just moving a bit away from that, sometimes I think that uh, this internet activism can spread us thin and the save all burden, when we're going back to that whole topic, sometimes it does spread people thin because people get exhausted and they generally feel, for example, like when us, when us creators are told to speak on things, sometimes guys it's difficult because there's a million issues out there, right? And it's not like we don't care, right? Obviously, though, there's some issues that certain creators have an affinity to, are more directly affected by, and maybe are more, are more knowledgeable, uh, they're more knowledgeable on those topics to be able to actually make a video about them. So that's one thing to keep in mind. I mean, have people uh, told you to speak about certain topics, Hadia? Yeah, I mean, I get that all the time. And uh, for me, I, like I said at the start, like, um, what's it called? I, I, I do what I say, I do what I advise people to do. And I know when it's time to listen. And so I feel like as creators, we also have a duty to effectively utilize our platforms. Because for me, um, sometimes when I'm given, like I'm sent, I get sent so many uh, requests daily, um, whether that be in comments, DMs, etc. people saying, talk about this, talk about this. Sometimes I know it's not for me to say, xyz so what i'll do is i'll duet somebody else's video or i'll provide resources but like as creators it is so important for us to know when to sit down and when to stand up and speak really um but the truth is like you will especially after the black lives matter thing i was mentally drained um from seeing you know Whenever any other person's killed, you don't see it being plastered all over social media for millions of eyes to rewatch. Um, and it is a very painful thing to see your community um, having their power, their humanity stripped from them. And so after months of seeing that replay, you do need to take a break. And I feel like it's very clear the difference between creators who take a break because they have, they need that for their mental health essentially. And creators who are exploiting that as an excuse not to speak on certain topics because the only reason they started speaking was for the clout. And so I think 
it's very clear to people like I'm sure you have people in your head who you are like yeah this person definitely did it for the clout but this person did need it for their mental health so to answer your question in short yeah people do send me stuff but as creators we need to know how to look after our mental health but also when to sit down and uh, when to speak up essentially yeah I think it's what you said was really powerful about being able to sort of lend your platform to someone else and I think that for me, especially with a podcast, I'm more than open to speaking. Obviously, my podcast is more uh, directly related to like African politics, African history issues, but also like a lot of youth issues. And I'm more than happy to share this platform and talk with certain people um, on these topics, provided they're obviously within that scope, right? And um, I think sometimes, yeah, you're right. If you don't know much about a topic, why are you speaking on it? If you're going to, I mean, some people, most of the people who are actually afflicted by these uh, these issues that we've talked about, when they come from these communities, they might not even have those large platforms. But just duetting a video and people can see your face next to it. I mean, your fan base plus that other fan base as well, plus the other people who are in that for you sort of um, algorithm sort of pool, they get to see that content. And maybe they could have said what you could have said, let's say after you've done studying for let's say a whole year, but they can literally summarize it into one minute because they've lived their entire life from that perspective. So we need to just really be careful about what to speak on and what not to speak on. And yeah, about the breaks thing, I think we, we, we need to talk about the whole trauma on social media. I think trauma has been brought directly to our doorsteps with social media. And I mean, First of all, and this is a trigger warning, if you guys are uncomfortable with the mention of violence, you can skip forward now. Yeah, you can now, yeah. <laughs> so now we'll get onto the, the whole descriptions of what exactly has been going on on social media, especially with Black Lives Matter. First of all, seeing, um, it actually doesn't even go as far back. I mean, it goes way back, actually, sorry. It goes back to the times of the civil rights, you know, seeing the body of Emmett Till, right? or having to look at the pictures of Black Wall Street being torn down, or having to look at pictures of the Herero Namakwa genocide in Namibia that was done by the Germans, or looking at the pictures of Black people being put into zoos. And this is like, people think this is a long time ago, yo. People, people around that age, if you're a kid, you're probably 60 now, 70. I mean, this is, this, you, you actually believe that, you know, that, that amount of time just passing, people think that it's like a whole eternity has passed. So I think now you come into today and you already have that history behind it and you see Ahmad Arbery, for example, getting gunned down. And this is just all on camera and it's a major issue. Like you look at that person, you inherit some trauma. I'd say the most gruesome things that I've personally seen was the, the footage from Cameroon, right? In relation to the aftermath of the, the school shooting and I'd highly advise that no one actually watches that video because it, I mean, it brought a sense of, I mean, my humanity, I was questioning my humanity, like, you know, by not wanting to do, not, not necessarily not wanting to do something, not being able to do something, right? I was so far away and I was like, this is a child, what could I have done? And I feel like that sort of enforces these feelings of guilt. And I think my question to you, Hadil, would be, how do you deal with those emotions? Because sometimes you see these videos, you're so far away and you start to question your humanity. Why can't I help them? Even though you, you obviously can't help them, right? But how do you deal with those feelings? To be honest, to start off, um, first of all, I know I could never compare myself as someone uh, having the privilege to live in the UK compared to 
um, dealing with these, you know, experiences of oppression firsthand, I can never start to compare or even imagine what it must be like for someone. Because um, the first example I can draw up is in the Sudanese revolution, right? And that being a Sudanese person hit hard for me. Um, yeah, we were protesting in front of Downing Street. Yeah, we were protesting in the UK, but there were people who were protesting in Sudan, losing their life, getting tear gas, getting abused. That's to say the least, essentially. And I, you can never compare what you're going through here to what they're going through there because it's a completely different playing field. Like I have family members who suffered from PTSD from the protests alone, from what happened on the 3rd of June. I, um, they've witnessed people in front of them getting killed. Like the things that they experience while they're protesting for their rights is very different. And it's pretty much something most of us won't have experienced essentially. And so I feel like understanding that point well is a very important part of being an activist here and then dealing with the stress or the the upset from not being able to do anything um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna try and make myself feel better or say anything like oh you're making videos online that must be helping people to kind of get rid of that guilt because essentially every activist movement is collaborative and all the parts that work together do form like some part of the result essentially but I'm not going to give myself more credit than what's actually happening because the truth is the stuff that is getting the most change is what's happening on the ground over there the people that are actually risking their lives and I guess telling my telling myself and reminding myself that I'm doing as much as I can is valuable but it's not something it's not really stress that you can deal with it's not really emotions that you can put a plaster on you've just got to face the facts online activism and activism from a distance is only going to achieve so much and yes it does hurt to know that you can't do as much but it's the harsh reality of our society essentially yeah and i think i mean you're totally right about you know you can't really compare the trauma to people what they're going through on the ground and I think that we, I mean, what also makes people, or I'd, I'd say what enforces this, as we said, the save all burden is seeing these things. And you're like, if I'm seeing this and this is only a one minute video, now imagine people have to live this as their reality. Now people sort of take that onto their shoulders. They can't go to sleep at night and they, they end up saying that, you know, I have to find a way to do this. They make videos, 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 videos. And sometimes also, over time, sometimes it also fades away because some people don't want to be able to control, uh, confront those feelings. But I'd say it's really important to talk to other people, to other activists. And I'd say sometimes also just uh, to talk to people in general, like counselors and get help if you need it, because I mean, that is traumatic to see, yes, but also don't put the weight of your world, uh, the weight of the world on your shoulders. If you do that, you're not gonna, you're not going to also be able to live. It's unfortunate. And I mean, I mean, we were just one person. Think about it. One person out of 7 billion. And there are so many issues. But what I'd say is that just put yourself in a position where if, for example, you're really passionate about this issue, or let's say it's like a home country and something calls you back, you could follow that calling, right? Provided that you know you're listening at the right times, etc. You know how to help. But at other times, you need to just realize that I mean, you won't be able to do much. Just raise awareness, do your part, speak out about it, right? But apart from that, you just have to, 
I'd say just have those conversations with yourself. And if that ever happens where you're at, you need to use that as a motivation. Like now I can actually change something. Uh, I'm not sure. Do you agree with that, Hadil? Yeah, definitely. And just to like add a bit more, because that was that was pessimistic and it was very a harsh truth take of, of the situation. Um, it doesn't mean that we as activists here essentially need to give up or not do anything because yes, it does have an impact, but um, let's imagine like the re- the utopian reality essentially of the situation imagine if the governments that we had here actually did care about the issues that were happening abroad and they weren't exploiting those situations for their own go- gain here imagine if the international community wasn't based on um monopolizing power but rather extending peace and um, development across all countries and all nations in the world then actually stuff we do here could be beneficial as they could put proper pressure on um, corrupt governments to you know stand down and we could offer proper support but until we get to a situation and if we were to ever get to a situation very important part where that was the case or that was partially the case even that could be something to consider but until then we need to make sure we are amplifying the stories and we don't get too caught up in the life we are living here i think that's the important thing people are struggling to differentiate between getting caught up in the life we're living here and still trying to care about everything else if we understood what's going on in the world and we were conscious and we made decisions that reflected that consciousness we wouldn't have such a push to make it look like we care on social media because sometimes people pretend on social media and that is the reality if we weren't supporting brands like H&M like Primark that exploit people in uh, the Uyghur the Uyghur Muslims in China for example that weren't exploiting families all over the world then we'd be like okay now let's tell more people but the issue is most of us are blindly acting around the world and just ignoring that our actions have repercussions and thus it kind of fuels this um save all burden essentially so yeah pessimistic at the start but remember we can do more than raise awareness and um we are going to save the world from wherever we are but we can make more conscious decisions to actively be an activist essentially Yeah and I think we can actually do on the ground activism in relation to certain things and I think a lot of people forget about the concept of things like supply chains and just like the same way social media can connect the world the world has always been connected in terms of trade all these different things so if H&M is indeed for example uh you know dealing with those uh the, those camps that actually have Uyghur Muslims in them there's certain actions that can be taken by people around the world to be able to stop this and i mean we've seen people for example signing petitions and you know uh we'll we're actually about to discuss this you know uh if we're talking about action on the ground i want to hear from you hadil what do you think about petitions in general are they effective do you think that they've worked and then i'll also give my take sure so um first of all with activism it's not a a one method saves all type thing it's not um you know but um one size fits all basically it's not um everybody yep we're going to give you all the same goodie bag and that should save the oppression that should stop the 
um, the issue that you're facing essentially. That's not how activism works. And what we have seen is a lot of copy pasting with online activism. Um, like I remember, so for the, the blue for Sudan thing, so everybody turning their profile picture blue happened because there was an internet blackout in Sudan and our job was to raise awareness. But that doesn't mean every other social movement needs that. That doesn't mean everyone then needs to go and do some next variation of posting a black square for um, Black Lives Matter. That's just not how activism works. It's not a one size fits all. Petitions, it depends on the cause. So um, say we are talking about, um, I don't know, the free school meals issue in the UK. So with the over 300 conservative MPs voting against giving free school meals to children, which is absolutely abhorrible, just to put that out, right? Um, signing petitions in the UK is effective for that because that means that the government, because the government has to respond after it gets certain amount of signatures. And then if it gets over a hundred thousand, it gets debated in parliament, which means that the outcome could be changed. And so in this situation, activism, plus petition signing is a great job because that could lead to change. Now let's think about um, Yemen, for example. People in the UK heard about what's happening in Yemen. The famine, which was going to be triggered by um, all of the stuff that's happening, and it was gonna get worsened by COVID and obviously the ongoing war and everything like that. People all over the world heard about that. And people said, petitions. Now, petitions don't stop wars, unfortunately. Petitions don't get humanitarian aid. Petitions don't do anything except refuse an except force an MP to stand up in parliament and say, we condemn this. That didn't do anything. And so we need to be very precise with how we use different um, um, things in activism, petitions, uh, humanitarian aid, albeit whatever it is, we need to have a strategy and we need to have logic behind using it. Yeah, I think a lot of people make these petitions without looking or making a power analysis and looking where the power is actually distributed. And people need to realize that, yes, petitions are a way to get your voice out. We've already mentioned that in the UK, it's a viable thing. Uh, I think there's a couple of petitions, quite a few of them, I think more than eight of them have reached parliament because they've gotten more than 100,000 signatures. But I think, unfortunately, most of them have failed. But that just brings me to my next point about strategy. And like, you have to really plan. And like, we're going to discuss what actually goes into a good peti petition because you can't just be having vague asks or you can't just be saying, we want this stopped. I mean, you need to look at who has the power to stop this and you need to direct your actions towards that person and maybe or the, or that institution because sometimes that might not necessarily have the effect i'd say one good thing about petitions though is obviously as we've said raising awareness and if you raise awareness you're basically essentially creating a pool of people that may be interested in the topic and might have the resources to be able to actually put an end to whatever is going on or they might be able to make a change in the system etc and also I think it just gives a good idea of where people are at uh, in terms of like a, a political issue. It tells the politicians that this is what people are passionate about. But at the end of the day, I mean, like that's one thing. And I think that people who are making these petitions, we need to really, really start thinking about, first of all, who has the power and how are we going to influence that person to be able to change things? And especially you've mentioned Yemen. It's such a tragic, tragic thing because, I mean, 
the worst you i mean there's there's not even much that our politicians can do even if you go to the security council for example um there's certain issues where uh countries that have veto powers they'll just veto them even though like the entire security council will vote on them right they'll just get vetoed so yeah i mean did you want to say something as well yeah especially on um you know that veto power thing so i've obviously done muns and i've been invited to speak at the actual united nations and the one thing that i've learned specifically from the muns because it's essentially a simulation of united nations and you are ref- you are meant to reflect the um basically how that country would operate in terms of international affairs and i have a very big interest in how nations interact with each other right and the one thing you realize is the super country the superpowers the countries who hold the most power do control everything and um as soon as something is not in their own interest for whatever reason that may be they hold the power and they will use that power to deny humanitarian aid or to deny humanitarian assistance and that just shows how broken our democratic nations are but also our political processes are um if people can't turn to the state or if people can't turn to international organizations then who can they turn to but also if we can't rely on organizations like the united nations and if we can't um if they if they basically hold no power and they're only a symbol where do people turn to and those are two really important questions to ask ourselves about you know the international um political climate essentially yeah <clears throat> and one thing i will mention is um you've mentioned obviously like you know the idea of nations interacting with with each other etc I think people need to realize that those ones yeah that one's a really it's a tough one. I mean we have to speak up. I agree I'm not saying we shouldn't have petitions on that, but don't rely solely on petitions to solve the issue. If you're really passionate about it for example and you live in countries <clears throat> as Adil mentioned, certain countries that have that power to be able to make change, call up your senators, call up um your representatives in government. if that is an effective way of doing it and spam them with those calls if if there's something that's so atrocious that's happening right and you want to make change about that you could use social media as a platform to instruct people and say that you need to call these specific people to put it on their agenda so they know that it's something serious and i can't remember i think someone someone shared this book that talked about how a lot of these international policy decisions are based on how the people react to them and like that's one of the things uh the complacency of the general population in human rights abuses that are happening by these in quotes you know this country that in quotes spread democracy around the world right um a lot of these people actually talking about how if the people came together and they actually condemned it etc it could actually even influence some elections or even some political action so it really just depends on obviously what exactly you're trying to look at and i think it's it's possibly it's it's quite smart to actually have a strategy and as i said do a power analysis know who exactly you'll be targeting and i think what i would say because i want us to finish off with what makes a good petition number one it has to be specific you need to know what you're asking for especially for example for black lives matter i think a lot of people didn't really know what we were asking for it was just like we just want this to stop and you know sometimes you know policy makers may not be um too privy to that because it's like you know it's like how do you want me to to help you it's like you know how would you want us to help so i think as as communities we need to really be proactive 
with our petitions and start asking, for example, having demands or like, a, you know, a list of eight. Um, I think there was some, some of those lists that came out in terms of defunding the police. <clears throat> Certain groups on Instagram actually went on with that. So I'd actually say that we need to actually, for example, and we'll get into this later in the podcast, have pages that are controlled by certain people that want to give ideas, or you can have their own ideas, share them around with people, tell people to share them. And look, you have a bit of a democratic vote in terms of likes and sharing of the content. And you decide what you're putting forward. Well, let's say if you have a, an assembly, like what they did in terms of when the police were actually talking to the certain communities. Then also, we need to know who that petition is addressed to. Sometimes for small businesses, it does work because PR matters it generally matters for these companies. So if you have to use social media, I'd say uh, internet activism can actually be effective in terms of, I wouldn't say um, deliberately tarnishing, but if the truth tarnishes your reputation, then so be it, right? In terms of these uh, major companies that you're dealing with. So that's one thing that I've heard. I've heard people have been able to raise millions of dollars using petitions, then the, from the petitions, people plug you into a GoFundMe. And that's something that I think is also quite amazing. But what do you think goes into a good petition, Adil? So definitely um, knowing what you want to get done with a petition is extremely important. Having a precise aim or a precise set of goals um, in a petition, that is absolutely essential because essentially a peti petition is, I want X, because why and here is all the people that agree with it and if you're missing any of those components it weakens your petition and discredits it essentially um ha knowing who you want to submit it to and who is the who who the actual person that can make the change for you is is also crucial you can't just be giving a petition on um i don't know on black lives matter on diversifying the curriculum to the environment minister, you need to address it to, I guess, the prime minister and the education um, minister, because those are the people that have direct influence on those parts. You can't give it to someone random. Like you can't ask Rishi Sunak, the chancellor of the Exchequer, to make a decision on the curriculum. It just doesn't work. So that obviously involves a lot of educating yourself on political processes in general and who you're submitting this to but i think those are the two main things for me knowing who you're sending it to and knowing what you want how you want it done and how many people agree essentially yeah nothing but back to you that's actually quite true and i think that um when it comes to petitions we just have to be more intentional about those i think that's one of those things that's definitely been used you'll always find the change.org petition for almost every single issue out there but I think we just need to be more intentional. And even the last thing I'll mention is sometimes petitions compete with each other. <laughs> and I, I wish there was a, I, I don't know if there's a feature, but if you guys are change.org are listening, please add this feature where you can combine petitions or make amendments, et cetera. Because some petitions might be really good, right? In the sense that they're really specific. They know who to, to sort of target, right? But then the kind of, they have, let's say like 2000 signatures, then another one that's just like, you know, BLM, that's it. It's like, you know, we had to say Black Lives Matter. And then that has like 500,000 signatures and they might actually have varying effects. So I think when you guys are looking for petitions, also look through the various petitions and be very wise about which petition you actually sign. Even apparently for the, the parliament petitions in the UK, if you have two existing ones um, that are basically the same issue, one only one can go through. So um, that's something that you need to 
to really focus on. Yeah, and um, especially I just wanted to say, be mindful of the platform you use for your petitions. So in the UK, if you're doing a petition, only use parliament.org because they don't they don't consider anything else. I'm not sure how it is for America. I'm pretty sure they have their own government website, I, I think. Um, but for like just because change.org is not it's not legally binding. None of these are legally binding, but they're not credible or authoritative. Um, also, change.org, actually, you know, when it gives you the option to donate, the money isn't donated to the cause. It's donated to change.org and they use it to um, promote the um, petition. So you just be mindful of the platform you use because some governments won't recognize them, essentially. Yeah, I heard that one about change.org. And I mean, it's, uh, yeah, that's one of those things you could literally just be funding an entire other system of, you know, uh, just sort of filtering out certain campaigns. And I don't think that that's necessarily right, but I don't know too much about it. So I won't speak too much about it. I think obviously even like, for example, in the UK, you might not want to go all the way to Westminster, but I'd say like, for example, for, for BLM, you might want to go more fragmented. And for example, BLM has a specific plan for Wales. Uh, specific plans for Scotland, specific plan for Northern Ireland, uh, and the same thing for England, where you have, for example, your borough council um, might have a certain plan, go and talk to them about it, go talk to your, uh, or like have a sort of assembly with your your local met department, etc, and have different actors in the community over there, etc. I think there's a lot that that could obviously be learned. And I definitely recommend uh, a website called Citizens UK, regardless of where you are. I think that they do a lot of work in terms of being able to teach people how to organize within their communities. And yeah, Hadil, maybe you can also elaborate a bit more on Citizens UK. Yeah, so I actually work with Citizens UK. Um, I've worked with them for six years. Um, they're um, absolutely amazing. So I've done a few campaigns with them. So the living wage um, in, in the FA, um, and that was actually put on Channel 4 News. So Chan Citizens UK teach you two main things, essentially. It's um, to harness the anger you have about a social issue and how to get about, you know, making change, how to make people in power listen to you and um, want to make those changes. They're absolutely great organisation to either work with, volunteer with. Um, you definitely learn so much from them. And yeah, so shout out to Citizen UK, I guess. They're great to work with. Yeah, shout out to them. Uh, I'd say that obviously, even regardless of where you are, I'd say they're, they're sort of, they're using a similar curriculum to the one that's actually there in the US. I'd highly recommend if you're living in the UK or Europe uh, or in the US, I'd say that Citizens UK has a wonderful curriculum. Just go check, go to the website. I think it's citizensuk.com. Uh, just go check them out, follow, uh, follow them on the social media because they have really good tips in, into basically how you can community, um, how you can organize your community to be able to create positive change. So definitely that's one of the things um, I recommend that you do after this podcast. And then the last few topics we're gonna get into, uh, and this one just really kind of makes me mad sometimes is the, the whole trope of performative activism. During BLM, we saw it, you know, um, you know, people would be saying that like white creators, for example, and I'm not trying to like point out anyone in, in, in like in specific, but uh, some white creators might be saying the N-word in private or et cetera. They don't really care. And then they see that BLM is becoming one of those things that people really care about. Then all of a sudden it's like, guys, let's go out and let's go and take a selfie out in the protests. I mean, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? 
I mean, it's absolutely horrible. Like it's it's really monopolizing on someone else's oppression, really. And to be honest, I feel like that's the most visible form we can see it in society, I guess, in the activism front. But this is happening all the time in different forms, you know, whether that be with our um, consumerism, whether that be with the exploitation of big businesses over um, different groups across the world. This is this is happening, but in different forms, people monopolizing over others, um, exploitation and oppression. And it's absolutely ridiculous and horrible to know that you know, people, people are actually benefiting of someone being, you know, killed. It's, it's, I, it gets on my nerves. It's absolutely horrible. Um, but yeah. I just want to make <clears throat> one thing very clear to, to all these people who do this. Stop using people's pain as a form of pornography that you can plaster around social media and get clout. Not only is it ethically wrong in all degrees, it just proves that your interests do not lie with those people afflicted by major issues, but your interests lie in self, essentially in a selfish sort of paradigm. And I think that this is something we need to talk about. Some people have a tendency to do that. Ask yourself before you take a picture and post it, what is your intention behind that? What are you truly getting at? And when you're posting that black square, is it just to keep a friendship? If so, then you should nullify that friendship because if, for example, yeah, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter thing, people weren't posting the squares, whatever, that broke friendships. Like if you're not with the movement 100%, then don't, don't even go to the protest because you could actually be either speaking over people and saying fake things or saying misinformed things, or you could actually be one of the people that's hindering the protests and the, the, the movements from being able to move forward on social media and off social media. And I just, I think this is one of those major issues that just really made me mad. I think there was a video on TikTok that caught one of these influencers going out there and they had a video and they're like, oh, how do I look over here? Like, I think especially with Black people's issues, like that, that sort of, you know, the, the protests have become now a Photoshop, a Photoshop for people to go and take photos, some of them. Uh, yeah, do, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, so... um first thing that comes to mind the white savior complex you know and specifically speaking about africa you know um you, you see it in the movies you see it in real life you read about it in books you watch it in tv shows the um white person that cares about saving everyone and so they take a trip to uganda or sudan or some um a country in africa and they're like oh look at me i'm saving the world and i get to do it you know with the elephants and the lions and all the poor people in africa you know they it's it's nothing it's nothing different to that you come to the protests and look at me i'm saving everyone and you really see it for what it is because that's the same action that people are taking when they go to africa you know when you go to africa and you participate in these big projects that you know for the most part because some of them are aimed at helping and they do help but for the most part just are just there as a poster um or really as a way to evade tax and we're not even going to get into that conversation but these projects that people take part into um uh for for activist purposes when really all they're doing is trying to up their social profile and it's it is that white savior complex that we need to save the world or we're, we're doing this because the poor africans couldn't help themselves you know 
Um, and so they do it in the protests and they come out on social media and they're like, oh, look at me, I'm such a good person. And really it, it enrages me, like you said, that you're using someone's pain as, as some sort of, you know, poster opportunity for yourself. It's absolutely disgusting and it's not acceptable in any way, shape or form. Yeah, like how are you going to turn up to a protest not knowing anything and then you leave not knowing anything, but you left with a clout? I mean, this, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And you mentioned the white savior complex. Oh, my. We've done a whole podcast on this as well. So please go and listen to it as well. Um, it's one of those things that makes me mad. You need, to, you need to be passionate about an issue if you want to help on it. And I feel like some people, when you put yourself in a white savior position, you're essentially exerting a form of superiority over the people that you're helping. And then you automatically think that you can lead this movement. And also one case, oh my goodness, this case made me so mad. There was a whole climate conference uh, at Davos, yeah, in Davos, Switzerland. And there's a girl by the name of Vanessa Nakata. I believe that's her name, <clears throat> right? And I think it's Nakate, sorry, yeah, Nakate. And essentially, yeah, she's a Ugandan climate activist. And they cut her out of the photo. And I'm, oh my goodness. And the thing is, there was no reason. There was no, like, what reasonable explanation was there for cutting her out of the photo? It just proves, even for example, with climate change, right? A lot of Black people don't get that. Uh, I, would, I would not say, for example, like credit, but we need to hear the stories from different perspectives. And they get shut out of that narrative. It's led literally by what people, a lot of activism, activism has been colonized, I'd say. Oh my gosh, I've got so much to say about this. Um, veganism in itself is a privilege and that's part of tackling climate change. And we're not even going to get started about how many communities, how many ethnic minorities have been partaking in veganism for centuries. It's part of their integral religious beliefs, yet it's somehow been commercialized into something for the Western world to enjoy. Participating in veganism now is almost a privilege because it's so unaffordable. Um, and not just that, like, the the problem with climate change is just like we're seeing in the philippines now it's the people who have participated the least in ruining our um, environment and ruining our earth that are facing this the most it's the indigenous communities across the world who are firsthand experiencing a lot of the ramifications of climate change and we're only hearing about this from the white gaze, essentially, from a Western perspective. We are cutting out the important voices. And this is like what we were saying at the start, people speaking over each other, people not taking the time to sit down and educate and listen. Because honestly, we, if we don't start listening, we are going to see big problems in society. There was no reason for her to be cut out of the photo, just like there is no reason for us not to listen to the people who are being hit the hardest by social issues all over the world, whether that is um, Black Lives Matter, whether that is um, climate change. There's so much that we need to listen to that we just aren't, and it, it, it infuriates me. Yeah, I just, I mean, it's so, it kind of makes me, mad that some people still deny the existence of things like you know racism in today's world i mean you wonder why i mean explain to me why she was taken out of that photo and i think that when it comes when you look at it from a bigger picture like racism has literally penetrated almost every social sphere even when you're trying to change things when you're trying to dismantle racism you're literally your authorities even in academics for example might just be a white man 
or a white woman and you have to use their authorities and their theories, et cetera, their paradigms to push your arguments. And not even just that, that's, not, that's literally how deep it goes. And like, you can also look at how, for example, as we said, who gets to speak on what issues and who gets to speak on what parts of the world? I mean, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And if you guys don't follow No White Saviors on Instagram, please go and follow them. They have a lot of amazing content and I think that even in, in Dambisa Moyo's book, uh, Dead Aid, she mentioned about how, I think at the turn of the, the new century, there was uh, a group of people that came together to organize a concert for Africa. Let's come together and save the starving children in Africa. And it was mainly just white people, like <clears throat> no offense, but who gave you a, a platform to speak authoritatively on behalf of those people? And this is something as activists, you need to really note are you one of those people who are just into advocacy or are you actually listening to the people who need to be listened to? These are things that are very, very, uh, I'd say pertinent when you're looking at social media because you can literally speak on an issue that's happening 8,000 miles away from you. You've never met these people. You've never been to this country. You don't even know the capital city, yet you're speaking with that level of authority. Sorry, madam, but who are you? Sorry, sir, but who are you? You know? No, I completely agree. Like you, you coined it with that. You don't even know the capital city, you know, and you're speaking on the issue. Like this is not, it's just not for people to speak on. And that doesn't, there's a difference between not participating and not speaking on something. Like you can participate. You just don't need to speak over people because you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and yeah, like it's this constant picture that people paint of Africa. This is like from colonial times, this weakness, this need to be saved the same way, um, you know, the Soviet Union branded spreading communism liberation um, over Eastern Europe. It's the same type of idea, the same way during colonization, they were saving Africans in the world and helping everyone develop, right? is that same mentality of um, wanting to save everyone essentially. And we see it in the advertisements, you know, everyone thinks Africa doesn't have water, Africa doesn't have food and Africans live in huts. And, you know, for the water and food thing, it's absolutely disrespectful. And it started from the water raid advertisement. We all know it's because of those water raid advertisements on television, people think that Africa doesn't have water. But like, let's just actually think about the ideas. Assume Africans did live in huts, right? Assume. Why is that such a bad thing? Because I, I, me now at this point in my life, I don't take that as an insult because that is African culture. That's how we live. Why do we have to um, only appreciate things that are acceptable from a Western perspective? We as a world have branded ourselves based on the Western perspective and the Western perspective only. It's just an important power dynamic and, and idea to, to understand, you know? And until we can let go of that, until we can let go of that consumerist, westernized perspective of the whole world, we won't actually be able to understand the issues each other are facing. Now, let, mark my words. Mark, mark what, I have, what, I've, what I'm about to say in the calendar. I am waiting for one white person to come and say, guys, okay, now huts are actually eco-friendly and we're going to start making our own forms of huts because you know you know how i'd be guys in these streets the gentrification is so real but that's that's a topic for another podcast but yeah i totally agree with what you're saying adil and i think that 
when I'm relating it to, to internet activism, TikTok was filled with this whole trend of, oh, I'm going to send water to Africa. And people, I mean, it was a joke, but like, yo, I mean, jokes after a while, they obviously just become really idiotic in my opinion. And it's, you're, you're pushing narratives that just aren't true. <laughs> and I think that literally that's what fuels all of this, um, you know, first of all, the white savior mentality and how it manifests in internet activism. It's like, oh, you know, let's go and help Africa. Let's go. There are kids that are starving. Well, also the UK has a homelessness situation. They say charity starts at home. And I'm not saying that you should not come to the African continent, but also know that we are not the only place with problems. And I think before we close, right, we're going to move on to the last topic of today, uh, which is, I think it's probably going to be the most productive part. How do we think we can make uh, internet activism sustainable? What, what are your thoughts, Adil? So um, for me, when thinking about the solutions for something, we obviously always need to look at the root cause. And for me, I feel like, just like I've said throughout this podcast, there is a clear um, disconnect between the issues and the people fighting on their behalf. The, that disconnect is either caused by the lack of education, the lack of experience or the lack of knowledge um, towards certain topics. And so the first thing we need to think about um, in terms of activism long term is how we can ensure that this information is readily available to people in their curriculums because the only reason i feel like active online activism is that um big right now is because people are discovering so many things that they never knew and if we had this information readily accessible accessible and available to us through our curriculums through our um daily sources of media I don't think this would be such a big um, fiasco essentially and I feel like that does take away the um, it, it, it disincentivizes the performative element as well um, because if, P, if this is a normalized thing you can't really get clout off of it and so it means that we deal with a lot of the key issues in terms of you know, the, the education and the knowledge element, which I believe is an integral part of the issue. Yeah, before I start, um, what I'll say is that we're not here to like just bash the entire internet activism thing. <clears throat> we can see Black History Month in the UK, I can definitely attest to this, this year, <clears throat> I'd say has been radically different because of the Black Lives Matter movement. So because of all those crazy petitions that we signed, because of all that stuff that we had done, whether it was in the UK, I mean, all the protests went to Japan, there was some in Kenya, absolutely crazy. Like we, we, uh, people inspired each other all across the world. And now the Sainsbury's thing, <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about that <laughs> a bit later, but a lot of companies are actually coming out and saying that they're going to make commitments, which is really good. And yeah, did you want to add anything, Hadil? Yeah, I wanted to add a quick something. Um, so giving one thing we can do for sure in any given situation is create enough noise to give more power to people on the ground and that's not like for example whether or not we sign those petitions people made enough noise so that teachers who cared about the issue on a ground level would talk about you know critical race theory would talk about the things that were necessary during black history month and if anyone above was to say anything, they would be met with so much backlash that that would be unacceptable. And so, you know, we've got we've got tools, we've got abilities here with this activism. It's just about harnessing them effectively um, in the best way possible. Yeah, and I think 
sometimes i mean oof, this is a whole dilemma i think we might have to, to have a part two on this but uh i think the the dilemma is also unfortunately it's so there's so many issues around the world as we've mentioned and the idea of one issue getting airtime like massive airtime sometimes other issues might get swept under the rug and it's unfortunate <clears throat> we don't know how to really deal with that but the the good thing i'd say about social media activism is that it really just depends uh on the issue and sometimes issues from out of nowhere from countries that we really don't know about um could literally just be broadcast and i think that that, that gives people more of an opportunity it's not just like it's only western issues we've seen african issues at the fore like nsars etc we've seen uh, issues from china we've seen issues from hong kong etc we've seen so many different places being uh, represented on social media i'd say that that's one thing that we possibly need to like also look at but in terms of how we can make it sustainable my biggest one would possibly be <clears throat> we need to obviously i've said it uh, sometimes uh, this burden of saving all <clears throat> can be very difficult for certain people and this is that you're told get educated get educated and you have school you have work you have all this different stuff sometimes it might also just be <clears throat> a bit um difficult for you to uh uh you know obviously hear about people dying in a certain area etc so you don't want to strain yourself mentally what i would say though is that there there should be instagram pages or certain pages or podcasts or places that are built specifically for this purpose <clears throat> educating people one great example is no white saviors and there's also these other nice cute little instagram channels that say like for example what's happening here and um they have these little um slideshows on instagram that they they do uh, i think that that's something that we can be able to visit and um therefore you can literally literally like bring the information from those people uh to the general population um what do you think about that adil definitely 100% true um those pages and just you know introducing politics into the education system as you can see i'm very passionate about education but introducing politics into the education system is really important because um at this in this moment on time i'm recommending uh, the social dilemma on netflix to everyone but the thing you're 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 getting with um online activism is that there's actually a lot of polarization happening and um that means that you know people on a certain side of the political spectrum are only hearing about things from their perspective and vice versa and this is increasing polarization and it's creating a hub uh, a perfect breeding zone for misinformation it's creating creating a breeding zone for um radicalization in some cases and so we need to be very careful and we need to have these pages set up as some sort of um safe zone some hub of safe zone of with information that is just coming directly from these um from what's happening all over the world and then you can have like you you know you and I the political um pundits essentially of social media who give their opinions on different topics but yeah political polarization is definitely something to think about when getting your information online because there's obviously always books um news articles etc but also one thing guys um i think that one thing that people often fight over is authority over social media internet activism what is true there's a whole debate about whether systemic racism was real whether black people indeed are shot disproportionately uh in the us compared to white people and i think we need to get some more academics out here academics if you can hear me we're talking to you you are literally some of the most important people 
and people literally some people brush academics aside they think it's just school no academics is literally the basis of society right it's ideas it's all these different things and i've had the privilege of for example talking to someone who has a doctorate in studying um you know how businesses employ people and they explain to us about all these kinds of things like ethnic penalty that prevent people from bame communities getting jobs i mean when a doctor when someone who has a doctorate explains that who's going to challenge them right at the same time they can also explain the nuances for example if it's not as clear cut you can be able to see okay this is in fact a complex issue how do i approach it so i'd say that academics out there if you guys are on social media i mean we we need you guys and like obviously in a way that's uh possibly engaging because a lot of the youth are on social media as well that could be one thing that i'd say could possibly strengthen internet activism a lot and i think we've already gone through petitions etc but i think and this might i i'm kind of still reserving this point because uh, i'm still kind of iffy about it but we talked about centralized leadership i think that there needs to be an element of it in terms of centralized leadership obviously with black lives matter in the us i know that unfortunately there were some leaders that were actually targeted and people think that they were killed right and some people have just gone missing which is quite 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 frightening uh, and i think that i mean we have to find ways to be able to get those people who are leaders safe uh and obviously i think when it comes to centralized leadership you might be able to have better direction instead of people for example not really knowing what's going on but i think that's that's one of those things we need to focus on those people can be able to um spread useful and objective and certified knowledge throughout the communities and i'm not saying it should be one person but maybe like a group of people or a committee of people that come together and say that we want to do this and where the community essentially decides it's not like once they say that it's set in stone because another group could come up and say hey you guys aren't doing this which unfortunately could lead to factionalism but it's also i think one of those necessary things you need for a community to be able to decide who they want representing them <clears throat> so um anything you wanted to add before we close hadil yeah essentially i agree with all the points you made um centralized leadership we obviously don't want to have um some form of um activist authoritarian group just you know controlling the whole movement and suppressing people's ideas which could lead to a lot of alienation um from people involved in the movement but at the same time we don't want a disorganized group of people um who don't know what to do and then lead to um a huge loss of momentum for the whole movement so it's about finding a balance it's about dispersing power effectively so that every voice is heard and it's definitely something to think about so if you've made it this far in the podcast um i hope you've enjoyed it for a start but let us know like you know feel free to send dms or comment like what you think about this or any of the topics we've discussed essentially yeah thank you guys so much especially i thank you to hadil for coming through she always pulls through for the podcast and honestly the energy that you bring here thank you so much um for the energy that you brought here obviously adding a lot of light and adding a, a lot of knowledge to the podcast and i think that these are issues guys we need to really we don't really have a manual for internet activism and i think that it's all happened so fast and it's still happening i hope that this podcast could sort of bring our heads from underwater and just sort of like look around where are we you know internet activism what does it truly mean for us and when we grow up how are we going to teach our kids about internet activism but thank you so much everyone uh for for coming to this second episode 
of Pariah Nation in season 10. Next week, we're going to be talking about leadership on the African continent. And obviously, guys, Timbuk Tuesday, we'll get back to you about what we're going to be talking about. But thank you so much again, Hadil. Thank you to everyone who listened and got this far. And go and follow Hadil on Instagram and on, I think you also have a YouTube channel. Just drop those for us very quickly. So um, I do Instagram and TikTok right now. My, my YouTube is under process. I'm trying to figure out exactly what I want to put on there, but feel free to subscribe. I'm at Hadil Speaks on every social media platform, essentially. So if you want to go follow me, thanks. Yeah, guys, trust me, you will not regret it. A lot of great content over there. But yeah, thanks again, guys. And I guess suppose this is the end of the, the podcast. If you guys have any questions or suggestions for topics, let me know and I will see you next week.